Welcome to church. It's good to see you guys this morning. I'm a little out of breath because it's ran upstairs. Forgive me. <laughs> uh, first, I just wanted to welcome you guys. I'm so glad that you're here with us, and we're really glad for everyone who's able to join us online. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about this song that we're doing today. It's a new song. And last week, I was struck listening to the sermon and thinking about how perfect it is that we're singing this song this week after we learned last week and we were talking about the dedication, the decision to follow Jesus and to give up everything for him. And I love that because this week we're singing this song called Found in You. And the whole song is about how that everything that we need and everything that we want and desire is found in him. And so it brings a perspective to that discussion that we had last week about giving everything up and deciding to follow Jesus because there's a song that I love that has a line that says, uh, it's the song available, we sing it here a lot, but there's a line that says, nothing is a sacrifice. And it sounds kind of weird when you first hear it because you're like, what does that mean? It's because it's, it's, it doesn't even feel like a sacrifice when you give up something not great in exchange for something wonderful, right? You know, in the Bible, Jesus talks about the pearl of great price, and he says that the man who finds it would sell everything that he owns just to purchase the land so that he could have that pearl. And that is his analogy for the kingdom of God. So we've been blessed with so much more than we've been asked to give up. And it's really a beautiful exchange because we're the lucky ones, you know? Like we sing all the time, we were the beggars, but now we're royalty. So that's a great exchange. Like we are getting the best end of the deal. So I love that. And we talked about the, the cost and acknowledged that side of it last week. But this week we're going to acknowledge that we are being blessed in return, that what we're receiving by being in communion with God is so much more valuable than anything that we could ever give up. Amen. So you guys can stand with me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful day. We are so blessed to be here in your presence. I ask that you would just join us here in this place, that as we come humbly before you, that you would just be here with us, that you would meet with us, that for a moment we would feel your presence in a fresh way that we would really know that you are hearing what we're singing that it's not just words but it's truth and it matters and it means something and i ask god that you would really touch our hearts with the words that we're singing this morning every song is so filled with truth from your word that god as we sing it we would believe it and that we would hear these words of truth and that we would celebrate together as the people of God who have been so blessed, so blessed just to know you. Jesus, thank you so much for the beautiful, amazing gift that you've given us. And it's just the gift that keeps on giving. And we are continually amazed by your goodness, God. And we're going to sing about that this morning too. So thank you, Lord. And amen. Let's do it.
worship from Psalm chapter 15. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath 
even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit who enables us to walk in righteousness. Amen. I love that the psalm starts with who can dwell in your tent because we are privileged to say me, but not because of our works, because of Jesus and the price that he paid and the righteousness that he has shared with us. So the least we can do is follow in his footsteps and try to show the world the love that he's shown us. Amen.
You did it! 
As you can tell, we had a fantastic week at camp. Um, kids had a great time. I had a great time. Stu had a great time. He may still smell like fish, may or may not. I don't know. He had a hard time getting that smell off of him. He was in charge of our fishing and did a great job. I'm sure he was the favorite as always. But we had a really great time. The Lord really moved. I'll share a little bit more uh, in my sermon. But um, yeah, we had a great time. Thank you for praying. I know I came to you guys last week and asked you to faithfully pray for the kids who were going to be going, that God would move in their lives and speak. And I believe he did that. Um, I believe that, that the Lord did some awesome things. And so we just continue to pray uh, that he will nurture that and the Holy Spirit will continue to move uh, and build upon what was uh, laid this week. Amen. Well, before we go into our sermon this morning, let's just take a few moments and invite the Lord uh, to continue speaking to us this morning. God, we come before you today so very grateful. Grateful for your love for us. And God, we come here this morning challenged yet again by your word that is going to remind us how we are to love others, how we are to demonstrate that love that is a God-given love, a love that you have instilled in us, your children. So God, I just invite you into this preaching moment, Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts. God, would you just continue to challenge us? God, would you help us to be receptive to your word and to your instruction? God, would you Open up our minds and our hearts to hear a new and fresh word from you this morning. 
It's a familiar passage, but God, I trust and believe that you will speak a new, a new word to us this morning. God, we, we pause and we pray for all of those who are not able to be here today. Maybe some are worshiping from home, but we pray this morning, God, that you would draw near to them. Be with them, Lord. Help them to know that you are with them. God, be with those who are sick. God, be with those who are weary and brokenhearted. Be with those who are carrying heavy burdens. God, would you just draw near to us and help us to feel your love this morning. Lord, we love you, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Would you all stand with me this morning as we open up to Luke chapter 10? We're going to be reading a well-known passage, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, for those of you who keep tabs on the sermons and the sermon series, you may remember that we spent a lot of time looking at this passage last summer. Last summer, we uh, spent nearly the entire summer in a series called The Art of Neighboring, which was inspired from a book I had read, and the book was about being a good neighbor, being a good neighbor to those who live in close proximity to you, and the book was largely inspired by this passage. 
Now, I said something to you, I'm sure, nearly every week last summer, and I want to say it again, and that is that the purpose behind that series was not to suggest that Jesus in this parable was referring to our literal, physical neighbors, right? We understand that Jesus had a much deeper meaning. He wasn't giving the expert in the law an exact definition, and we understand that that did not mean our literal neighbors, or it didn't only mean our literal neighbors. But we talked about how it also didn't exclude our neighbors. And, and the purpose behind this series was to encourage us as we were being challenged as a church to know the names and stories of those who live near us, near this building. And the challenge was for you to go into your own neighborhoods and learn the names of your neighbors if you don't know them. Learn their stories and to just simply be available. That was the intent behind that series. We talked about what keeps us from interacting with our neighbors, what keeps us from making the time to know our neighbors. And we talked about how oftentimes what keeps us from knowing our neighbors is the same things, are the same things that keep us from knowing other people or, or reaching out and drawing close to other people. Now, I do recognize that spending an entire summer sermon series on uh, neighboring your, your physical neighbors inspired by this passage, that that could be counterproductive, right? I understand that you could easily walk away with a definition of what it looks like to love your neighbor, as Jesus said, and, and so we run the risk of doing that. And so when we came to this passage again, as you know, we're in the series, we're in a summer sermon series now going through the Gospel of Luke. And so as we came to this passage, I, I thought for a moment, I thought, do we skip this passage because we did spend an awful lot of time in looking at this passage last summer? Or do we look at this passage again, hoping to draw a new and fresh word from it? And I was challenged to not pass this passage by. I was challenged to pause and look at it again because I think today the Lord has for us a simple and yet profound reminder of what it looks like to love our neighbor. So like the expert who challenges Jesus, you, we just read in the passage, he stands up to challenge Jesus, right? And like the expert, we probably also wonder, I think this is a legitimate question. I don't criticize him or condemn him for asking this question because it's a question I think we would all easily ask. Okay, Jesus, I hear you, but who is my neighbor? Who is it that I am to love? So I thought about this this week. Some of you will appreciate it. Some of you won't get it at all, and that's okay. But I thought this week that if a millennial were asking this question, they would probably ask this. They would probably say, Jesus, what does this look like? Because that's a phrase that millennials use a lot. I'm often reminded because I use that phrase a lot, and, and people will give me a hard time. Like, you guys are always asking, like, what does this look like? What does this look like? And so I think that's a legitimate question. Instead of asking, well, who's my neighbor? I think a legitimate question would be, Jesus, what does this look like? Really? Really? What do you mean by this? In asking this question, I think we genuinely wonder and consider I want to be this kind of neighbor. I want to be this kind of neighbor, but Jesus, does that mean that there are no limits? Are you saying that there are no limits? What about all the responsibilities I already have? 
What about the fact that I'm already taking care of a family and raising children? I'm showing up to work five days a week and I'm there all day. I'm already serving in my church. Is that what this looks like? Because I'm doing that. I'm serving in my church. I, I serve on the church board. I teach Sunday school. I was in quizzing growing up. I taught the quizzing group. Jesus, what does this look like in the midst of, of the everyday mundane when I'm working to pay my bills and make sure that things are getting done around the house? Because there's always something to do around the house, right? It's never ending. It's an impossible burden that, that's always popping up. How do we do this when we're handling one crisis after another that just seems to pop up out of nowhere? How do we do this and what does this look like in the midst of trying to keep all of my commitments to other people because there are so many? How can I possibly do all of this and more and still be the kind of neighbor that's described in this passage? Maybe you're thinking, well, last week we did talk about the importance of counting the cost, Right? And that this is what's important and this is what we must prioritize. And if it's not a priority, it's time to rearrange some things. And Jesus never said it would be cushy or comfortable or easy. He just said, this is what it looks like to be my disciple. See, this is what it looks like. So I ask you again. We ask the question again. What does this look like for us, plain and simple? What's the word here? What's the message here for us today? How do we receive what Jesus intended to give when he tells this story? And this morning, you know, I could just came from kids camp and things are really simple at kids camp. And that's not reality. That's not real life. I'm well aware. But Sometimes I just appreciate simplicity, and I just appreciate the reminder that the message for once can be simple. And I think the message that Jesus was communicating is plain and simple, but I also think it's profound and direct and important. Consider these few details of the story again for just a moment. Jesus uses this rule of three as he tells this story. This was a, a common practice in storytelling during this time. And so the audience, those who he's speaking to, they understand that there are three people coming in this story. He's going to describe three different people. And so he does, right? He mentions the priest who, who sees this man lying half dead on the side of the road. And scholar, I mean, you could spend hours reading about all the, the theories that scholars have as to why a priest who is modern-day pastor, why they would go out of their way to avoid someone, a fellow Jewish man who is dying on the side of the road. Scholars have all kinds of legitimate, I will say, thoughts and ideas as to why. Maybe they say he was trying to stay ceremonially clean, but then others say, well, he's not going to Jerusalem to the temple. He's actually coming from, he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, right? There's all these reasons as to why. And, and I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, I would say. All we need to know is the priest, fellow Jewish priest, he walks by. And Jesus goes on to the second person. He goes on to talk about the Levite, who would have had less strict rules than the priest, 
but probably still would want to avoid defilement. And for whatever reason, again, I'm not sure that it matters, but he still passes by. And then those who are listening, they know. They know a third example, a third person in the story is coming. And this is where I really want you to think about the fact that those who were listening probably did not at all expect what was coming next, right? And if you're familiar with the story, you understand that it was a surprise, that it was a Samaritan. But I appreciated being reminded this week that there were probably audible gasps in the room when Jesus says, but a Samaritan. Like it probably threw everybody off so much when Jesus said, but a Samaritan. They didn't see that coming because remember we talked two weeks ago and I won't go into it too much today, but we talked two weeks ago about the animosity that existed between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. There's deep roots of, of animosity and just hatred and disrespect for one another. And so this would have shocked those who were listening to this story, that in this story, it's the unclean enemy who is the vessel and the conduit of blessing. I appreciated being reminded, too, that the expert in the law is so shocked and probably appalled that Jesus just used a Samaritan to be the conduit of blessing, that when Jesus asked him, who was the neighbor? Who do you suppose was the neighbor to the man? He can't even look Jesus in the face and say, the Samaritan. Notice how he says, the one who had mercy. Can't even say the word. The Samaritan. Friends, this morning, I don't want us to miss what Jesus is trying to communicate in this passage. Because as I said, the message, I think, is simple and it's direct. The purpose was to remind us that there is value in seeing and knowing those around us being open to how we can be a blessing and to have compassion and love those who are hurting around us, right? But oftentimes what we're tempted to do is pass by on the other side of the road and avoid those who we just don't want to deal with. And so again, we say we understand why the expert in the law wanted an exact definition because that's so much easier. Tell me who I have to love. Tell me who, who you say I have to love. What is it? Who is it that I have to love? And it's as if Jesus is saying, that's not how this works. You're missing the point. That's not how this works. I like how N.T. Wright puts it. He says, no church, no Christian can remain content with easy definitions which allow us to watch most of the world lying half dead in the road. Can't define them. You just have to be ready and willing to go. Jesus is saying your neighbor is your neighbor. Your neighbor is your spouse who is difficult to love at times. Your neighbor is your parent whom, who you don't have a, a healthy, good relationship with and they're, they're hard for you to love. Your neighbor is your coworker who gets on your nerves. Your neighbor is your classmate who, who drives you crazy with their bad habits. Your neighbor is your student who never pays attention. Your neighbor is your fellow church member who 
has offended you, who ignored you, who didn't say hello to you. Your neighbor is your client. Your neighbor is your enemy. Your neighbor is the person that irritates you. Your neighbor is your barista who makes your coffee. Your neighbor is the grocery clerk who can't be bothered to look up from, from the floor to say hello to you. Does that drive anyone else crazy? Because that drives me crazy. But they're my neighbor. Your neighbor is your doctor who acts like they know everything. And your, or your, who, who, who you feel like doesn't know anything. But your neighbor is also your patient who acts, who acts like they know everything. Your neighbor is your political enemy, that person you don't see eye to eye with on nearly anything. Your neighbor is your boss who's always giving you a hard time. Your neighbor is your employee who's always showing up late. Your neighbor is your fellow man, your fellow human. That's actually one of the ways that describes the Greek word that Jesus uses for neighbor, fellow man. Your neighbor is your fellow human. Your neighbor is anyone and everyone in need. Your neighbor is your neighbor. And it's especially, I would say, as, as Jesus uses in his example, our neighbor is especially those who are the hardest and most difficult to love. They are not excluded. When you see someone struggling when you see someone hurting, when you know there is someone who needs a lifeline, when you see someone who you know just needs the love of Jesus, when you see someone who you know needs to be loved and you choose to walk on the other side of the street, not stopping to help, it's as if I heard one, it's as I heard one pastor say, you don't yet possess the knowledge of what it means to be the body, the hands and feet of Jesus. Because make no mistake, this is hard, but make no mistake, your Christianity must have hands and feet. It cannot pass by on the other side. You don't get to sit on the sidelines and watch. You don't get to sit on the sidelines and observe how others go to help the wounded ones. You don't get to sit on the sidelines and watch and critique and receive. You're called to participate. We're all called to walk toward our neighbor who's hurting, not walk away. We're called to go and do likewise, and this is crucial to being like Christ. I'm going to get really honest and vulnerable for a moment, and I hope you hear my heart, because I'm human. This is hard for me, too. I don't want to stand up here and act like I, I don't struggle with this, because I do. And I was reminded this week that there are times when this is difficult for me. You see, there is no human whom I've met that I don't love with a Christ-like love. But there have always been those who are more difficult to love than others, and so I tend to just pass by so as not to have to get too involved, right? There's times where I've been tempted to pass by, and then there are, have been times where I have passed by. 
I loved youth ministry. I was a youth pastor for nearly 10 years, and I loved youth ministry, but there were some teenagers that made it really, really difficult and challenging, and they knew it, and they were fine with it. They were happy with it. They made it really difficult, and I loved them, but it was really tempting to just want to pass on by and not look at the wreckage that was happening in their lives. I dealt with some really messy teenagers, but yet what I was challenged with again this week, what I was reminded of this week is I'm not sure what's more difficult, messy teenagers who for the most part just want to have an attitude and keep their distance or messy children who just let their messiness hang out everywhere all the time, right? And so that's what I was reminded of this week. I was reminded that there are some kids who are really difficult to love. I love them, don't get me wrong, with a Christ-like love, but it's difficult to move toward them with patience and kindness and grace. When you're at kids' camp with 104 campers, you're reminded that there are messy, misbehaved kids all around. Have you ever been around a messy, misbehaved child who just pushed every last button, they were there. (laughs) Praise be to God, they were there. I'm serious. Praise God they were there because I know in my heart that's where they needed to be. But oh, during chapel, I would just watch as they would press every button of their counselor and as they just made faces at the counselor and just defied everything the counselor said. And in my mind, I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. Like, what is happening with kids? And I was challenged this week. I was really challenged as I was reminded of just how easy it is to pass on by and just don't make eye contact, pretend like you can't see them and just keep moving. And yet, I was blessed as I saw my fellow counselors and adult leaders who didn't pass by, who continued to demonstrate love and grace and gave those kids time and then gave them more grace and then gave them more time. And I watched as those kids, those difficult kids who were willing to do anything and everything they could to get sent home just because they can, I watched as their hearts softened over the week, truly. I watched as counselors and campers, uh, counselors and adult leaders intentionally walked toward the campers who were hurting who were were spiritually lying half dead on the side of the road. And I watched as counselors and adult leaders move toward those children and bandage their wounds, put them on their donkey, and carried them to safety. I watched as they loved the girl who just had an attitude, right? Because that happens sometimes. She was probably pre-teenage, major attitude, I watched as she came to the altar the last night of camp and sobbed uncontrollably at the altar. 
I watched as, as, their, as her counselors and leaders surrounded her and prayed over her as she cried out that she doesn't want to go back home where all she knows is drugs and addiction. I watched as those counselors bandaged her wounds, not passing by because it was just too difficult. I watched as those troublemaker children eventually smiled a different kind of smile this week. Not the one where they just got away with saying a really ugly, dirty word, but the kind where they felt like they were met with relentless love, that they were in the presence of adults who didn't just say they loved them, but actually demonstrated that love with their words and their actions and their grace. Some of these kids, I promise you, are those kinds of kids that you just want to pass by and ignore. Let them be someone else's problem because someone else will come along and deal with it, right? But those kids are our neighbors. Those kids are on that list with all those others and more. And Jesus called us to love them, to meet them, to meet them as they're wounded and broken and spiritually dying, even when it's difficult and feels impossible. Doesn't mean we're all going to be called to go into children's ministry. I always appreciate a good reminder that I did not miss my calling. I love when that happens. I was, I'm just reminded, like, okay, I can love these kids, but I was not called to, to pastor children 24-7. It doesn't mean you have to to be a children's pastor. It doesn't even mean that you have to be committed to being on the children's church rotation, but you do have to love them. You can't just avoid them and pretend like they don't exist. That's just my example from this week, but we all have those people, right? Children, teenagers, adults, whoever. You know who I'm talking about. We all have those people in our lives. But I'll say it again. You're called to participate. You're called to walk toward your neighbor who's hurting, not walk away. And this is crucial to being like Christ. Whether it's a difficult kid, difficult teenager, coworker, spouse, any of those I named and more, these are our neighbor. These are our fellow human and Jesus was clear on what we are to do, and it really is plain and simple. And refusing to be the hands and feet of Jesus for whatever reason, I would say that it's unacceptable. Whether it's because of fear, busyness, a reluctance to take on burdens that are not your responsibility, a belief that someone else will help, whether it's because of a, of a prejudice that maybe that person doesn't deserve your help. We're all called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who are broken and wounded. Do you ever read this story and just walk away with kind of a sense of, of guilt? Because you read about how amazing the Samaritan was, how good the Samaritan really was, and you walk away feeling like, wow. He just sets the bar, the standard, really high. And I'm just not sure I can meet that. And sometimes you walk away with like just guilt, just a sense of guilt. I want to remind you this morning 
that the Samaritan did not fix every problem. The Samaritan wasn't called good and wasn't called the good neighbor because he fixed and solved every problem that this wounded man had. He acts compassionately, but he's not expected to fix everything in order to be a neighbor. Listen, you need to hear this morning, you can't fix everything. You can't fix everyone. You're just called to do what you can. But that's really hard sometimes. One of the neighbors I had a chance to love this week was a sweet little girl who was no problem at all. I'm not saying that sarcastically. She was a literal angel, and I could have brought her home with me. And one night after service, she was just crying, crying. She was probably seven years old, I think she was, just crying, crying. And and I just asked her, like, do you need me to pray with you again? Do you feel like you need to, to pray some more? And she said, can we go outside and talk? And so we went outside And she just lost it. She said, I just want my brother and sister back. You see, she had just been removed from her home recently. She's living with her pastor. Her parents left her and her siblings at home for an unknown period of time, and they were just found, and brother and sister were taken away, and she's crying out, just saying that she wants to be with her brother and sister again. And I'm telling you, in those moments, it feels so impossible and so defeating because I wanted to fix it. It's in those moments where you want to fix everything. And I felt so frustrated because I was like thinking inside, Lord, I don't know, what what do you say to that? What do you say? And so the only thing I could think to do, which I'm sure was inspired by the Holy Spirit, was to just hug her and cry with her and let her know that it's okay to be sad, but to let her know and remind her that Jesus sees her and that he loves her and that he is with her brother and sister and loves them more than she ever could. We can't fix everything. That's not what made the Samaritan good. He's considered the true neighbor because his impulse was love. He acts rather than makes excuses. He doesn't let limitation, fear, or prejudice paralyze him with an action as the priest and the Levite do. But he does what's in his power, and that's what we're called to do. So this morning, I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up. And as I do, as they do, I want to ask you, who is your neighbor that is so difficult to love? Who is it for you? I was honest and vulnerable and shared with you that sometimes those unruly kids, they are hard. (laughs) They're hard to love. It's hard to move toward them. It's easier to just walk away from them and let it be someone else's problem. Who is that for you? Who is it for you that that you just want to pass by? Don't make eye contact. Don't look at them. Try not to see what's happening. Let someone else deal with it. Who is it? Who's your difficult neighbor to love? Have you gone out of your way to avoid them? We all have. This morning, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to just be honest before the Lord and ask him to help you because really that's all we can do. 
I can't give you a list of things. Do this to be the good Samaritan. Do this to be the good neighbor that Jesus talks about in this parable. I, I can't do that. You just have to talk to the Lord and ask him to help you. And the reason that we come to him and ask him to help us to, to operate on my heart and to take out what is not Christ-like and to replace it with what is, we do that because we can all identify with the man that's lying on the side of the road. I'm pretty sure I said this last year, that we've all been that man. We've all been the one wounded, left half dead on the side of the road when Jesus came to rescue us, right? So maybe this morning you feel like the person that's been lying on the side of the road. And people have passed you by. This morning I would challenge you to allow the Lord to overwhelm you with his love for you. Church, how can we walk intentionally toward those who are hurting and broken? It's only because of the goodness of God, which we're going to sing about in a moment, that we can demonstrate this kind of love and goodness to others. So we pray. We pray and we ask you, O oh Lord, would you help us? God, you see how challenging this is for most, if not all of us in the room. Maybe for some in the room, it's not the unruly children. They can handle them all day long. God bless those. But maybe for some in the room, they're having an incredibly difficult time loving their spouse. God, you see those in the room who are having a difficult time loving their children or their parents, maybe. God, present here today are likely those who have a hard time loving our coworkers, our bosses, our employees. I'm positive that it's difficult for us here today. It's difficult for us to move toward those who couldn't be more different from us in terms of what we believe and how we live. It's real tempting to walk away from them. God, whatever it is, whoever it is for us, you know. And I pray that you would meet each and every person and challenge them this morning. But God, I pray, I also pray that you would give us the power of your Holy Spirit who's living inside of us. Give us grace, compassion, hearts for, the, for those who are broken and hurting. God, you can do that, and we pray that you would do that in and among us today. And God, we thank you for your goodness that never fails to meet us when we are the broken person. And we praise you for that goodness, and we remember your goodness today. In Jesus' name we pray.
stand as we sing together?
share a few quick announcements with you before we're dismissed. You don't even have to sit down <laughs> unless you want to. Uh, this week, the lunch bunch is going to meet on Wednesday. Uh, that's Wednesday at noon, and they are going to be meeting at Easy Buffet. Our students will plan to meet this evening at 5.30. For those of you who are available, parents, for those who are available, we'll be meeting here at 5.30. Restore Network is uh, back to school bash, still, still open for volunteers. Um, if you're able to look at that, just want to keep that in front of you. We've got a few more weeks uh, until that's happening. And uh, finally, I did just learn this morning that I guess there was maybe some kind of uh, hold up or delay for the Frank Housers in packing their truck yesterday, from what I understand. And so they are still uh, needing help. If anyone is available today, I've heard at one o'clock they're going to be meeting to load or continue to load. Um, so if you're available and, and can help them, that's a great opportunity for you to show up and help them. Uh, one o'clock, I'm sure you can reach out to, to Brett. And I saw Stephanie here. Is that right, Stephanie? Gotcha. Okay. But meet at your house at one, right? Okay. All right. Just wanted to make sure. Let me offer you this benediction before we leave this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may you go in the grace and peace of our Lord. May you go this week and be aware and open to those who are broken and wounded. And through the power of Christ, may you move toward and not walk away. Go in his power and peace. You're dismissed. Have a great day.